0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams and today we're going back to Sunday the 27th of August 1978. That was the day that police carried out the mass arrest of more than 100 people in the centre of Sydney. Their crime was supposedly taking part in an unauthorised procession. In reality, they were targeted for being gay, out loud and proud. It's tempting to look back at the 1970s as a funky, freewheeling decade in which political and social repression was rolled back. You know the drill. Peacenic protests against Vietnam, women's livers burning their bras, gays coming out of the closet, along with swingers parties, drug experimentation, swaying crowds at music festivals, and groovers doing the bump at city discotheques. While there is truth to this, it also neglects the fact that Australia remained a very conservative place. In New South Wales in 1978, you could then, as now, be busted for smoking a joint. But it was also a crime to be gay. And a crime to get an abortion. Those two issues would collide on this day that year, and the fallout helped to contribute to what's now one of the biggest, if not the biggest, LGBTIQA celebrations on the planet, Sydney's Mardi Gras. The Mardi Gras' origin is rightly traced to the night of Saturday the 24th of June 1978. That was when Sydney's activist Gay Solidarity Group staged a day-long rally to mark International Gay Solidarity Day. The festivities kicked off at 10 o'clock in the morning, and they were to be capped off that night by a two-hour Mardi Gras march from 10pm. As the Age newspaper reported of what more than 1,000 attendees enjoyed, quote, "...it was originally more a festival than a protest march, and many were singing and dancing in the streets." Police had given approval for the Mardi Gras march to Hyde Park, but their officers confiscated the bus at the head of the procession in an attempt to close down the parade. So the crowd headed for King's Cross. When they got there, they were met by police with loudhailers who ordered them to disperse, and the police arrested 53 people in the clash that followed. The Sydney Morning Herald reported, quote, the demonstrator said they were never informed that the police considered them an illegal procession. The police had blocked off the road and made arrests as the demonstration was finishing. Margaret McCann, March organiser, told the Herald then, quote, The police indiscriminately and using a lot of intimidation, violence and unnecessary brutality just started to pick anyone. Marchers were punched, dragged and arrested by plainclothes Clothes officers and uniformed officers not wearing ID numbers, who then threw them headfirst into paddy wagons. Many of those arrested were bashed in cells at Darlinghurst Police Station, where they were kept on this winter night without blankets and without access to lawyers. New South Wales Premier Neville Rann, who was also Minister for Police, said, quote, These people had the freedom of the streets all day long, but they chose to be in King's Cross in the peak hour traffic. Those arrested were charged with resisting arrest, disobeying a reasonable instruction, assaulting police, using unseemly words, and causing malicious damage. When they appeared at Central Court at Liverpool the next Monday, 200 activists were there to support them, but they were met by 100 police standing shoulder to shoulder in order to deny them entrance to the court. A lawyer told these supporters that three magistrates had said the police had no legal right to keep them out. This was later disputed in terms of it coming from a magistrate, but the effect on the day was rising anger and scuffles with police. Eight or nine people were arrested. One protester said her arm had been broken, but police denied there'd been any injuries. What was clear was there was no love lost on either side the gay activists also had no love for the Sydney Morning Herald. That's because the paper, at a time when being gay was a crime, when being outed as gay could mean you lost your job, your home and even your life, printed the names of all 53 people charged. And not just their names, their full names, middle name included, and their ages, occupations and addresses. On the 3rd of July, a dozen gay Solidarity Group members protested outside the newspaper's headquarters on Broadway. They told the Herald's editorial manager that already two people had been evicted because their landlords had seen their names in the paper. The newspaper's boss wouldn't be moved, saying that publishing such information was in the public interest. What followed over the next two months was a drop the charges campaign that involved rallies, marches and picket lines with these efforts supported by the Council for Civil Liberties. Then, on this day in 1978 in Sydney, the fourth National Homosexual Conference was held at Paddington Town Hall. That same day, an anti-abortion right to life rally was being held down the road in Hyde Park. The Women's Abortion Action Campaign was staging a counter-rally, advocating for safe legal abortion, and it had asked the homosexual conference organisers to ask attendees if they'd march in support. Checking with police about the legality of the march and rally, organisers were told they'd be fine if they stayed on the footpath along Oxford Street and then assembled at the other end of Hyde Park from the pro-lifers. About 400 marchers set off from Paddington Town Hall, but they only got as far as Taylor Square before they were confronted by an army of police. These officers had formed a cordon blocking Oxford Street. Superintendent Reg Douglas said, quote, You are taking part in an unlawful procession. If you do not desist immediately, you will be arrested. The thing was, though, police had also swarmed up from side streets to hinder escape or retreat. As the Sydney Morning Herald reported, Police then moved towards the marchers, most of whom were either turning back or remaining where they stood. The marchers were then told they were all under arrest. This was about three minutes after the first warning. Many of those arrested told police that as far as they were concerned, the march had dispersed, but they had been unable to move because the streets were blocked. 74 people were arrested in and around Taylor Square. About 60 protesters made it to Hyde Park, where they chanted pro-choice slogans in front of a platform used by singers and speakers to address the 3,000 or so people gathered for the Right to Life rally. 30 of these gay activists were arrested by police, bringing the total to 104. As for how they were treated, a Sydney Morning Herald female photographer got a taste. She said her camera had been snatched at by police and she was manhandled by officers who thought she was a protester. The Herald reported quote, "Although she shouted several times that she was from the press, she was freed only after a colleague managed to convince the police she was not a demonstrator. This woman and another colleague from The Herald were also threatened with arrest for obstructing police. Yet it hadn’t just been print journalists who’d been on the scene. TV news crews covered the event. And that night's bulletin showed protesters being roughly treated and hurled into police vans. When the 104 people arrested faced the Central Court of Petty Sessions, all pleaded not guilty and all were released on bail of $100. Again, the Sydney Morning Herald printed every single name, age, occupation and street address. The Drop the Charges campaign continued, and it'd be the first of these charges to reach court that would in large part determine the legal outcome for most of those arrested on the 27th of August and those arrested at Mardi Gras two months earlier. The charge of failing to cease an unlawful procession at the instruction of police against Laurie Steele was heard on the 6th of October in the Central Court of Petty Sessions. During the proceedings, an ABC TV cameraman testified that marchers had been ordered to disperse but had been prevented from doing so. Audio recordings of the protest backed him up. The magistrate Harold Berman dismissed the charge because the police had failed to prove their case, and that was because they didn't have one. This was recognized in the fact that soon after this case was dismissed, most of the protesters received letters from the Crown informing them the unauthorized procession charges were being dropped by the police. No explanation was given, but it was pretty obvious. The arrests shouldn't have been made in the first place. Other charges weren't dropped, but the protesters were able to plead guilty and were given small fines. As for the charges arising from the first Mardi Gras, they were also all dropped by April 1979. Faced with such an epic failure, the Parliament of New South Wales also repealed the Summary Offences Act legislation that had allowed these faulty arrests to be made in the first place. Two months later, on the 30th of June 1979, 3,000 people celebrated Mardi Gras on Oxford Street, and this one passed without incident. You've been listening to Australia on this day. I'll be taking a short break to recharge, research and write more episodes, but I'll be back very soon. In the meantime, please leave a review or rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, because this helps other people find the show. For more stories from our past, check out my other podcast, Forgotten Australia. Both Forgotten Australia and Australia on this day are produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. As always, thanks for listening and I'll catch you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.